On today's episode of the TV Yearbook, we discuss the drama of quarantine, oversized flannel, and screaming plants. So don't touch that dial. The TV Yearbook starts now. Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the TV Yearbook, a podcast about the best and worst episodes of iconic television shows. I'm your first host, Dom. And I am your second host, James. In each episode of the TV Yearbook, we pick a popular TV show from the past and use the internet to find its best and its worst episode. Then we'll discuss the two episodes of the past through the lens of today. We poke fun, we laugh, we debate our outrageous ideas as we explore these shows. <laughs> and just like your high school yearbook gave out superlative awards, such as most likely to train a monkey and least likely to be trained by a monkey, that works. <laughs> sure. <laughs> At the end of the show, we will share our superlative awards. Right, Greg? That's right, James. I'm your third host, Greg. And in season one of the TV yearbook, we explored 1980s crime-fighting dramas. In season two, we've been looking at sci-fi shows from the late 80s and into the 1990s. And our show today ran from 1993 to 1996. And it won almost three Emmy Awards. And it is Sequest. The 21st century, mankind has colonized the last unexplored region on Earth, the ocean. As captain of the Sequest and its crew, we are its guardians. For beneath the surface lies the future. Sequest DSV. Not to be confused with Sequest 2032, which was still the same show, but a completely different rebranded third season, stars Roy Scheider as Captain Nathan Bridger. Roy Scheider is, of course, best known for his iconic role in another deep-sea adventure as Police Chief Martin Brody in Jaws 2. Mm -hmm. In the show, mankind <laughs> has exhausted almost all resources, except, conveniently, for the ones on the ocean floor. And as new underwater colonies become established, it's the mission of the Sequest and its crew to protect them from hostile non-UEO nations. UEO stands for United Earth Oceans Organization. <laughs> and they also aid in mediating disputes and engaging in undersea research. Most of the episodes primarily dealt with oceanographic, oceanographic, Oceo. ocean, ocean, oceanographic, nope, oceanographic, yep. <laughs> oceanographic <laughs> research, environmental issues, political conspiracies. And the interpersonal relationships of the crew. Obviously. Yeah. And our best episode, I think we get a taste of all of those. Pretty much. Right? Right, guys? Pretty much. A taste, at least. Yeah. We got a flavoring, a sampling of... A smattering of the of each. Intrigue. And, but, Greg, you are going to give our 90-second recap of our best episode, which was Season 1, Episode 8, Give Me Liberté. Mm-hmm. Thanks, James. All right, so Sequest, you know, the underwater ship, stops by an undersea research station to drop off a new team and collect the old one. First Officer Commander Franklin leads the new scientists aboard, only to discover that the old team is dead. Lethal amounts of self-inflicted harm. So now we have to quarantine Commander Franklin and the new team of scientists. And in quarantine, they start showing the beginning stages of whatever it was that killed the team on the research station, so it's up to Sequest to find out what's the deal. Nearby, they discover the remnants of the space station Le Bauti that had crashed into the sea. <laughs> 
Indeed. I'm going to say like 12 more times. <laughs> of the space station that had crashed in the sea years earlier, uh, with the dead astronauts still on board. It seems like our dead undersea researchers explored this future French station and got exposed to whatever nasty bio-research that the crew of the Liberté had been lo- working on. So Captain Bridger goes to the surface to Paris and locates Dr. Pichet, who was the only surviving astronaut on the Liberté. We find out <laughs> that the future French were doing some bio-weapon research on Liberté. So they bring Pichet back to Sequest just as another submarine, the Lafayette, approaches. It seems as though future French want to destroy Liberté to hide the evidence of their bio-weapon research that they obviously were doing on this space station. Conspiracy. <laughs> Bridger and Pichet quickly hop on board Liberté, where they surmise that uh, one of the deceased astronauts had an antibody. So they get a sample from him, just as future French fire at Liberté. But Sequest protects the Liberté long enough for Bridger and crew to get out of there, get back, replicate an antidote, and save the quarantine crew members. 90 seconds, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I thought you weren't allowed to do accents in your house. <laughs> this is my one free moment, James. It's free. Nobody's listening but us. <laughs> yeah, this, she'll never find out. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've given the recap, guys, did you notice some familiar faces besides the captain? I don't remember anything. Honestly, I thought I recognized people, but I couldn't place very many. Jonathan Brandis was the kid who's very smart, uh, so he was the one I kind of recognized the most after the captain. The only reason I recognize Jonathan Brandis is from the movie Sidekicks. Yeah. Which also stars Chuck Norris. Hello. <laughs> I love that movie. That such Do you a not recognize movie. him from It? Nope. Sure. Like, which which It? The made-for-TV movie? The Tim Burton? Or, no, I don't know what the... Tim, the one uh, from 1989 or whatever it was. What's that? What's his name? Roth. No, not Tim Roth. No. Not Tim... Uh, Tim, uh, Tim Allen. <laughs> nope. Nope, uh, that's not it. Tim Conway? Nope. Conway? <laughs> what is happening to us? Tim Allen, Tim Burton, Tim What's Conway. his name? He's a very famous actor. He's an amazing uh, actor. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Curry. Yeah, thanks. Curry. Thanks, Greg. That's it. So, no, Jonathan Brandis, he is the whiz kid, as Dom says, on board. And I really feel the echoes of Star Trek because is Jonathan Brandis nothing other than undersea Wesley Crusher? Am I wrong on this? this? Oh, 100%. No, you're not wrong. I mean, although I don't really know Wesley Crusher, because, again, I've only watched the episodes that you forced <laughs> me to watch. And I don't think he was ever in any of them. But this show is definitely, as much as maybe the cast and crew don't want to potentially admit, it's a complete Sea World Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. even I thought even the theme song was oddly reminiscent of Star Trek. I mean, this is NBC trying to compete in the sci-fi television genre, which they had, I think, done a good job with Quantum Leap already. But this one, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Oh, that, that does not uh, foreshadow well for the show, Dom. <laughs> Based on your comments. No, there were a couple of people I recognize. The comm officer, Ted Raimi. He was in Xena Warrior Princess. Oh, yeah. I did recognize him. Well, he's Sam Raimi's brother. Right. Sam right. Raimi, of course, 
famously directed the first Spider-Man trilogy, mm-hmm. yeah. but probably most famously known for the whole Evil Dead series. Yes. Who I think Ted Which, Raimi was also in some of those. I think he was. I believe you are correct. Some of those with uh, the illustrious Bruce Campbell, who is truly one of the greats. Oh my gosh. Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's also a couple of other people. There's, do you recognize the Seinfeld actor? It's Todd Gack from Seinfeld. No. And Todd Gack is the one who would no. make fake bets so he could get women to take him to dinner. And he's like the same guy in this particular series. Todd Gack. No way. I have no idea who that is. Who did he play? Which character he was he? He played the lieutenant who broke his suit, whose suit punctured inside the quarantine. Oh, the morale officer. Yeah. Is that what he's called? He was the morale officer. Yeah. Morale officer Todd Gack. He's looking great. <laughs> and then finally, it's just this random chief petty officer, this Scotty looking guy. It seems like they were cheating everything from Star Trek. I expected him to have a Scottish accent. Because he looked very much like Scotty, a more portly bearded fella, but he had an American accent, and I don't know. It just seemed like there were so many little ripoffs from Star Trek. Yes, no doubt about that. But overall, an all-star cast. I mean, well, the, okay. So the cast, <laughs> there's some pretty faces across the mm-hmm. board, but the acting, I have some questions about that. I don't know if we'll get into that later, but I don't know why you guys are already immediately hating on this. Like I said, all-star cast, James. One of my... F- <laughs> well, and then you followed it up with... Well, eh, eh, maybe. <laughs> well, <am> I- <laughs> One of the things that I liked about the show was that a lot of the sci-fi aspects were pretty true to life. And I think for, what was this, 1993, Mm -hmm. the drone. So when they they like find the space station down in the ocean and they send this drone that's being controlled through virtual reality that... Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, it does look like a dog, which is strange for an underwater, you know, drone. (laughs) It made me think of a robotic Thundercat type creature (laughs) underwater. I think they're ripping off everything. Let's appeal to one person and it was it was me it was us they were trying (laughs) they were trying to get me and they did well yeah i i really liked it like it 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 didn't seem i mean granted it's 2020 and we've had all the technology before the time i thought it was a pretty good glimpse into the future that these kinds of things it's it's pretty down to earth and something that actually does exist which is not always true in some of the other sci-fi shows that we watch so i thought that that was definitely a point in its favor definitely and so okay so this drone finds the space station and there's these dead astronauts all around mm-hmm. and the first the first officer comes back and they're in quarantine right you know nobody wants to get this disease it's clear this or whatever it was something killed these people and did you guys catch the line at the end where he's he's trying to communicate to the captain exactly how bad it was how bad the how bad the death was he goes captain if you had seen the way we found them i mean their faces they died so hard. I mean, I, I don't, maybe it's wrong to blame the acting, but the writing just wasn't there maybe for some of these scenes. That feels right on par with 1993. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I'm pretty sure I used that phrase, something, something so hard, pretty often. Sounds pretty hot to me. Yeah, I'm still using the phrase, don't get me wrong. But I just, you know, when you're paid to think of alternatives, 
Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. A note on that. That was the dialogue from Commander Ford. To be honest, he's the first officer of the ship. The second officer, Lieutenant Commander Hitchcock. I mean, Mm -hmm. to be honest, the leadership that these two showed was not really impressive in this episode. Now, granted, Ford... He was in quarantine, so he was starting to freak out a little bit. But even before he was in quarantine, like the leadership that he was showing wasn't very impressive. And then when Bridger's gone and Lieutenant Commander Hitchcock is the second officer, now she's in charge. Like the leadership is really, really rough there too. So I think... Well, she just got thrusted into, I don't know what a second officer is, but all of a sudden she's captain? Of this giant submarine? And all of a sudden now she's getting in a pissing contest with the French Lafayette Lafayette sub? They were looking for liberty. I mean, I think she handled it pretty well. (laughs) One interesting point here. I don't know if you guys have seen other episodes, but in the beginning, the pilot, Ford, is the first officer for a female captain who's not Roy Scheider as the series opens. And the way that the Admiral gets Roy Scheider to come out of retirement to take over is to set, is to tell Ford to pretend to be arrogant and a bad leader. And that's how they're going to convince Roy Scheider's character to come mm. on and, and take over as captain. Oh, Did you watch more than one these episodes? I have watched them in the past. Oh. Yes. Wow. I don't know. That seems like a pretty big deal. This is a show that you watched? I did. I'm telling you, they made the show for me. I was excited about this show, the concept of this show. I'm still excited about it. As I watch it today, I am very disappointed in myself for enjoying this show. (laughs) What? I can't. I thought it was. Well, we're giving it away. I thought it was great foresight when the, the doctor is explaining how that crew that was exposed needs to stay in isolation in that currently we're recording this in the midst of a pandemic. Like yeah. they reacted the same way being isolated in that cell. True. As I certainly did after one week stuck at home <laughs> with my children. <laughs> I mean, I was clawing at the walls. So, I yeah. mean, I thought there's a lot of things this show got right, I think. You know, I think you're looking at this thing all wrong. Don't think isolation. Think paid vacation. I don't want a vacation. That's an excellent point. I didn't think of it with that lens, but yeah, they for forecasting the future, which it's supposed to be set in like right now, 2018, 2018 2017, yeah. 2017. So uh, these early seasons anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they get they did get the quarantine behavior right. Good point. But they also, that adds an urgency to it. When you have all these people who you feel like these people are going to die if they're in quarantine, it adds the urgency. And so the captain of the Sequest leaves his ship to go... What was the term that they used that I really, really liked? I'm going to go upworld. I liked that phrase. Uh, and so uh, Captain Bridger goes upworld to go find the only remaining astronaut who survived on the Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Guy Pichet, a French scientist who we, we learned kind of invented this virus that has mm-hmm. unleashed itself. And I was really surprised, Greg, you talked about surprising faces, that the actor who played this Pichet doctor, his name is Udo Kier. Mm -hmm. Oh. He's a German actor with 267 acting credits to his name. How about that? And for me, I immediately recognized him 
is he was one of the old vampires in the movie Blade. Oh, me too. That's what I... Yeah. <laughs> that was just immediately where I knew him from. But he's been in tons of stuff. That's great facial recognition. Hey, a quick story on Udo. Uh-huh. He was born during World War II while Germany was being bombed, and he was born in the, in the city of Cologne. But on the evening of his birth, the Allies bombed the hospital, and they had moved all of the babies into, like, a safer room. But his mom wanted, like, a little extra time with him so she was in the building with him nursing him when he when the building was bombed wow and they actually pulled his mother and baby udo out of this rubble alive wow and then that's 40 years later piche (laughs) (laughs) well they kept they kept messing up how to say his name and it was like is it is it pesh is it piche and so I thought we were about to see Joe Pesci in the future. That's what I was hoping for. Anyway, Joe Pesci popping out as an astronaut with wisecracks coming, but was severely disappointed. Jonathan Brandis is a ute on this vessel. <laughs> ute. <laughs> you got to get this ute out of here. What is a ute? Udo, I mean, he's definitely been scarred by, you know, being the only survivor of this space station. Yeah. And he's very reluctant to help. He's kind of become a recluse. That's right. And the captain is trying to get him to come back to the Sequest to help the crew. He went into his little, you know, heartfelt monologue that there was a little pan flute playing in the background. <laughs> did you guys notice that? I noticed. I did not admit, I did not catch that. Two scientists in two different worlds. I'm offering you a chance to see mine. This was a pan flute, and it just adds to the another layer of Star Trek ripoff that they're doing. Because I immediately thought of Captain Picard playing his pan flute <laughs> on his stoop. <laughs> there could I'm be only sure one the same track. flautist. I believe it was a hot cross buns. <laughs> And it convinced him. It convinced him. It did. It brought him back. But then, and this was another great scene that I really loved, is he's doing his work. He's really nervous. He's really insecure. He's just not wanting to do this, even though the lives of this crew's at stake. And all of a sudden, the captain shows up to the lab to find out that Pichet has left, not the sequest, but has left the lab is not helping and instead is in the mess hall getting drunk. Uh Imbibing. And we see the captain lay down the hammer. I mean... Knocks that beverage right off the table. That was an amazing scene. Yeah, strong leadership. By Bridger. Very strong leadership. I loved it. And it it works and he convinces him. (laughs) I just thought it was a really good moment for, for the captain. I felt he was... As much as this this does seem to be just kind of a copycat ripoff of the next generation, yeah, this this was something that really set him different than a Picard type. I I don't see Jean Luc Picard doing what Captain Bridget knocking did. the drinks off the table. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Jean Luc had a had a strength, but a maybe different. He would speak, would whisper quietly to you, and what would the one word that he would whisper know. to you be? Liberty. <laughs> Abstinence. <laughs> we better get our hunk of bone and get out of here, Ken. Overall, they successfully 
go on board the Liberté, they get the sample, and and it's great. It, the doctor, the British doctor, who had some real, like, English Dr. Quinn vibes going on, and it was 1993, so it felt really, really mm-hmm. correct. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she successfully gets the antidote, and all the people are going to be saved, and... And this, this episode ends, uh, and we are looking great because everybody survived. Well, except for the original people, in which case, they're out. They the did. French lost again. So why is this the best episode, you think? I was kind of looking forward to this. I, I don't know. I watched it too, Dom. Apparently, you were super enthusiastic in 1993 to watch this. I did watch it, and I enjoyed it. But even back then, I was like, eh, it's, it's fine. However, it had a lot of tension, had a lot of good mm. moments, had a lot of strong leadership moments from Bridger. Not so much from the yeah. rest of the crew, in my opinion. It had Todd right. Gack. It had <laughs> British Dr. Quinn. But it also had what I thought was a really good creative choice. Dr. Pichet... He is French, and he's constantly contrasting, like, space as a frontier and underwater as a frontier. And when they first head underwater, he starts narrating. He's like, the ocean, just like space. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. it's, it's got some super Jacques Cousteau vibes. Yes. And I dug those vibes. So I did like this episode. Yes. You know, when you bring up Todd Gack again the morale officer, in the one scene where his suit got ripped. In quarantine. Yeah. They were insinuating that he was bringing the commander VR porn. <laughs> I did not catch that. I did not. He brought him his Oh, no, yeah, I remember that. I do remember reality that. headset. That's right. He's like, commander, what do you say about a little interactive video, huh? I actually pulled something from my personal and private collection. That's, <laughs> that's right. I forgot that. In a room. In a quarantine cell with 20 other people. <laughs> this guy thinks, I know what this guy needs. Cheer him up. And that is worth getting <laughs> infected. Find your corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But anyway, I think I agree a lot with what Greg just said in terms of why this is the best episode. But I think this is true for the first season just in general. That a lot of the sci-fi, like I thought, I mean, this, this it's futuristic. But the issues that they were dealing with were very realistic. Yeah. It, I, it wasn't outside the realm of like, oh, come on. Like, we, you don't have to suspend belief too much to really get into the show. Yeah. Um, and I think that was very true in this episode. And I think even more so considering now in our lifetime dealing with a major pandemic. Yeah. It, it seemed pretty on point. Sure. It's great. I mean, I... I I love that the French are the villains, too, instead of the Germans or the Russians. You know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) that's a nice twist. Future France. That's a good point. I really, I mean, I loved this show when it came out. I was so stoked about it. I mean, my career ambition as a young man was to build cities like this and to become part of that culture underwater. And so when this show came, I was like, this is my thing, you know. And then I watched most of the first season. I mean, it's cast well. The ideas are really interesting. And this episode, you have all of it sort of coming together, except one very important piece missing. Do you, do you know what's missing? I do not. Darwin the Dolphin. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. As a star role. So it's interesting that the internet said this is the best episode where he had no presence whatsoever. And for me as a kid, I loved the idea that there's a dolphin that we can communicate with. And I think it's very interesting that that... <laughs> that character was written out of this best episode. Did you watch Flipper as a child, Dom, and love it? How did you know? (laughs) I did. I did. I love Flipper. You guys don't like Flipper? Did you want to be Sandy? 
Maybe. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, Dom, I think you bring up a really good point. I think it's very telling that this is considered the best episode and the dolphin isn't in it because that is not true for the worst episode. That's correct. Before we do that, though, Greg, it's the time. What you drinking? I'm about to put you in a very awkward position. Fan of the show will know, singular, fan of the show will know that uh, (laughs) I drink, I enjoy a craft soda for each one of these uh, episodes that we do. And here we're on episode nine. Hold on. Just, just so you know, yes, we did start out with a fan, but we have grown. Yeah. We can now pluralize it with a pretty high degree of certainty. Okay. Fantastic. All right, Greg, what do you got? Absolutely. So the craft soda I chose was a, a green apple Italian soda. Ooh. I got it in my mug full of ice. Actually, I've already polished off a good portion of it. it. The brand is Gustave. Gustave. And it's a, a prodotto de Italia. Bene. We don't have any listeners in Italy. Until now. So maybe this will change. I've been drinking about half of this... A 25-ounce bottle. I reach for my 25, <laughs> and I enjoy this craft soda. What's uh, the flavor of it? It's green apple. Green apple Italian soda. Green apple. And it's going Italian. all right so far. Well, green apple is definitely a new flavor. That's for sure. Did you all like when Skittles switched the flavor from lime to green apple? Were you all supportive of that switch? No. No, it is one of the worst candy decisions ever. Oh, made. I disagree, James. I think it was the best candy decision made. Fantastic work. Well. Really? Science would disagree with uh, you. America think... would, well. <laughs> <laughs> America's split. <laughs> Dom, what's the tiebreaker? I hate Skittles. You hate Skittles in general? I don't like Skittles. What? No, I hate Skittles. How's that possible? I don't like them. They stick to your teeth. Do you like Starburst? Not really. Do you like Jolly Ranchers? Definitely not. Laffy Taffy? No. Any fruit-flavored candy? Not really, no. Do you like fruit? I do like fruit. Have you had an apple? <laughs> I think I have had an apple. It's been 18 days since I've had an apple. A green apple? Villa Natalia. I don't like green apples. I only like reddish yellow apples. Gotta get that honey crisp. Okay. What else you got for me? Well, none of this is making it. <laughs> what? I find I find this compelling. I mean, we're going to need something to get to an hour. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing okay. Okay. We'll check in with you at the end, Greg, on that green apple flavor. We catch somebody in the shower, we can apologize later. Let's turn our attention now to the worst. Season 2, Episode 8, by any other name. Of course, a reference to Bill Shakespeare arose by any other name. Hey, Dad, I can't see real good. Is that Bill Shakespeare over there? So, two stories within this episode. Our secondary story is about how Darwin the Dolphin, who is appearing this time, is unhappy. It turns out he needs more light. So they turn up the lights. Problem solved. So our primary story. You know, when you say it like that, it sounds pretty stupid. One problem solved. Yep. I said secondary story, guys. Primary story. Keep going. The opening is a guy being chased by something unseen. It's assumed that he dies. After the credits, we find the Sequest stopping by an underwater horticulture station who stopped communicating. So a team goes over to see what's up. The station is supposed to have 200 people, but they've all vanished. Just there's random piles of dust. No bodies. 
They leave two red shirts behind, and Officer Henderson takes two pretty flowers back to her quarters on Sequest. Meanwhile, Vines grab the red shirts, and they're out. So the A-Squad SEALs are sent in, led by James Vanderbeek's older brother with the Don Johnson hair, Lieutenant Brody, <laughs> to check things out. In Henderson's quarters, the flowers become aggressive, and they become mutant flowers and begin attacking. <laughs> and as it turns out, once they get you, we find out they vaporize you to dust. Dust. So these vines yeah. are out of control on Sequest, and they start expanding through the pipes. They find Darwin the Dolphin's room. But the extra light, eh, it withers them. And that's it. That's the solution. So the A-Squad on the station gets told to turn up the lights on the underwater station. And after being holed up for a little while, Lieutenant Brody kicks some plant butt, dives into the control room, turns on the light, and the plants wither. On Sequest, super strength Dom DeLuise's son saves the day by blowing the ballasts, which floats Sequest to the surface. They open, like, all the windows, and the plants wither. The day is saved, and they eat asparagus for revenge in the mess hall as the episode ends. Worst episode. Oh, my gosh. Greg, can you define for the audience what you mean when you say red shirts? Oh, right. So in the original Star Trek, dang it, I'm, I'm being too authoritative here. Uh, let me start again. Uh, James, I think. <laughs> no, nothing. You know what it is. <laughs> Say I, what it is. You wrote the Wikipedia entry to this. Just tell us what I it is. Think, <laughs> if I recall, wait, it's coming to me. Scholars may take red, red shirts. Uh, the ancient texts make it clear that red shirts are those who are sent on the away missions down to the planet with Captain Kirk, Commander Spock, Dr. Bones, and Ensign Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> then that red shirt in the original Star Trek series like never survives. So, so that's the. But in this show, they're not red shirts; they're blue shirts. They are blue shirts. Well, we have a brand, not completely, but almost relatively entirely brand new cast. How many main characters do you think changed? Okay, so the captain's the same. We have Jonathan Brandis. The kid is the same. Commander's the same. First officer. The dolphin. The dolphin's the same. <laughs> we're counting the dolphin. Uh, Ted Raimi character is still and there. Ted Raimi. I think that's it. So pretty. So fifty percent of the of the cast was turned over. Yeah, that's enormous. They had cast chemistry problems. Now you said the character Dagwood, the ridiculously strong guy. That's really Dom DeLuise's son. It is. Dom DeLuise is a great talent of our gener- of the generation prior. Just be clear about that. Cannonball Run 2? Undersea Edition? <laughs> well, the, the number one most underrated voice actor of all time. Dom DeLuise. Wow. That's a statement. Thank you. You serious, Clark? Hot take. Hot take. Well, I really like the beginning of this episode because we don't meet all these new characters we're talking about right off the bat. It starts with this chase scene. And I think just as a comparison from the 80s shows that we watched that at least these two episodes, like it's just right off the bat. Like, they're getting to it. And the best episode, right off the bat, here's a whole ship full of dead people. Right off the bat, here's a guy being chased through this colony, kind of evil dead style, just from the point of view of the monster. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved the beginning. That was a fun beginning. I mean, it was definitely a different tone. It was much more of a B-movie horror type of tone. Yeah. But I love that. Are you saying that they leaned into it a little bit more in season two, the B-level? Well, at least in this episode... They're not leaning on it. I mean, they are full engaged. Planking? Pretzel <laughs> wrapping it. I mean, it's... Planking. <laughs> <laughs> They're beyond the lean. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I think we can do it manually. Have you ever tried, sir? No, but it can be done. Uh, fact check. It looks like Warrant Officer Anthony Piccolo is also a DeLuise. No. But we have two Dom DeLuise sons in this show. Are you serious? They do have the exact same last name that is spelled exactly the same. I think we have a winner here. That is correct. They are absolute brothers. That is insane. And that's the annoying character, I think, the other guy. Yeah. So, okay, so back to the the monster, the editing. Mm Mm-hmm. The running away. So they they did a good job, I think, with the with the shots. I mean, X Files does this. Lots of shows have done this ever since the beginning of monster movie making. Really, I was very intrigued to figure out what was the monster. When the big reveal happens, we find out it's mutant plants, mutant plants that have pretty much taken over the underwater horticulture facility. And these are really, really large plants with vines. And what it turns out is those vines are the ones that are chasing everybody. They grab them. They bring you into, like, the central portion of the flower. And they do something to you that vaporizes you completely. Well, they suck out your nutrients. And it looks like plant food that's left. (laughs) Ironically. (laughs) Ironically. (laughs) It's Little Shop of Horrors, basically. An attack of the killer tomatoes coming together with Muppets. I want to say that I saw some of the vines actually were wires covered in something to look like vine to move the plants back and forth. Well, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Oh, yeah. The CGI did not do it for me. It was bad. It was bad. The CGI was pretty rough. I don't remember any CGI for any of that part. The only CGI I remember was the underwater stuff. Like when the Sequest surfaces at the end? Oh. Yeah, that was... It was rough. It was early. That was early. That was some eight-bit NES <laughs> graphics. That, that was that was pretty bad. Yeah, it's expensive. But while all that is going on, we need to pause a little bit on the monsters and get back to the human element of this. Okay. Okay. Because while all this is going on, or while we're discovering about the truth of the monster plants, the captain and the man-child, Lucas, Jonathan yeah. Brandis's character. Yeah. There's no vet on board the Sequest, and they need to find out what's going on with Darwin. So they go to the doctor. The replacement for British Dr. Quinn. Dr. Smith. In the second season. It, it did make me think, as they were walking, this is 1994, and Jonathan Brandis's character is wearing this giant oversized flannel. Real 94 vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although that's kind of made a comeback, so they weren't too far off in their future predictions. Look at that. Another point of evidence of foresight. Getting it right. But anyway, so they go see Dr. Smith, and she's wearing overalls. Oh, my goodness. Really? That's interesting. Oh, my goodness. I thought she was incredibly good looking. She had Kelly Kapowski vibes. Yes. A little bit. That is that is a very good association. And it's clear that, that they're really attracted to her because both the 60-year-old Bridger and the 16-year-old Lucas... Cannot talk to her normally at all. <laughs> at all. They're like, you were talking to somebody? <laughs> Just feeding the fellas here. Oh. 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 You talk to your plants. Sure, that's right. They have feelings, don't they? Yeah, yeah of sure. course. Sure. <laughs> it's a lot of awkwardness. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> 
Well, the, the actress's name was Rosalind Allen, and she has a lot of credits, but unfortunately, it was lots of single episode appearances in shows. She did appear in Knight Rider and Star Trek The Next Generation, but this was by far her biggest break. But to go back to a Seinfeld reference, she did play Diane oh. in Seinfeld in the episode Marine Biologist. So that was that was her. Is anyone here a marine Baby. biologist? <laughs> <laughs> the sea was angry that day, my friends. <laughs> that was her. All right. The only other thing I wanted to say about the killer plants was: Did you just notice that they sounded like the Tasmanian devil? They made noises. They did. They made these, oh these screeching gosh. noises that were weird. Yeah. Tasmanian Devil, that's it a good was, association, right. too. Yeah. It was oh annoying and also a little terrifying, but a little over the top. Hey, Cliff, where the hell are you? So we have unusual noises, grunts, and moans, and we have girthy, swinging, <laughs> unkempt foliage. Just chaos. Grabbing. A lot of grabbing. So I, I was very uncomfortable during this scene. I don't I was feeling a lot of feelings. Did you <laughs> what, what are you talking about? We were on a hike and the flora was out of control, attacking fauna everywhere. <laughs> I just <laughs> All these men with laser guns that can't apparently destroy plants were just getting the... Well the plants were too strong. For lasers? I mean... The laser guns were great. (laughs) These plants were genetically engineered to survive in the harshest of conditions. So, yes, they can survive green lasers. Is there a difference between green laser and red laser or something? Because they were just immune to laser blasts. It doesn't make sense. No. Green lasers are more powerful than red lasers. Is that a fact? That is a scientific fact. They're really in the sci-fi genre Another point of science that they are bringing into this show grounded in reality. Speaking of grounded in reality, let's talk about Darwin finding his voice again. So... (laughs) So as we already discussed. So we got the plants finding their voice. The plants have a voice and the dolphin has a voice. When I heard it, I thought to myself, how was how could I have watched that show and listened to that voice? It was nothing like I remembered it yeah, sounding. It was actually. um and it was so it, annoying. Yeah, it didn't fit. And it really, I think, just brings the show down. Like as soon as he talked in that voice, like it just became ridiculous yeah all you had to do was have a like either a stephen hawking voice or a 2001 space odyssey type voice and it just gets ridiculous you're all right i'm better i know what i don't prefer (laughs) and it's that (laughs) it's that which is unfortunate because darwin the dolphin was voiced by frank welker who is an absolute voice acting legend. I mean, he voiced many of the Transformers. I mean, he was Megatron. I I looked at his Wikipedia page and just went through, and it's just, oh my gosh, like he's... I would have put money on that voice being Uncle Joey from Full House, but I would have lost money. (laughs) 
He was the gopher in Caddyshack. Oh, oh the gopher. Yes. Just goes on and on. And this is even closer to home. He made the noises for the graboids in Tremors. Oh. Whoa. That's what I like. Graboid. That's it. Graboid. Jesus, Walter. Well, it was a ridiculous voice, and but to me, I mean, the concept of being able to communicate with dolphins in 2018, I wish we would have achieved that, but alas. Yeah. Well, it's nice that Darwin could talk, because then he could tell everybody that he needs more light, and that becomes the linchpin to find out the solution, because when the vines start mm-hmm. to go into Darwin's area, the light causes them to wither, as I said earlier. So we have to tell everybody everywhere, whether it's on Sequest, we got to go to the surface. And we'll get Dom DeLuise's other son to do that. (laughs) Because apparently he has just offspring everywhere. But on the underwater horticulture station, it's up Mm -hmm. to Lieutenant... Brody, wasn't it? Brody, Brody? yeah, it's Brody. I just know he he had sick hair. The guy that jumped through the window? Yeah, man, that was such a great scene. That was a, that was a good scene. So he goes in, it's like, yeah, you got to get to the climate control area. And he decides, he's like, I'm going to go by myself. He's going to take it for the team. He walks into this room full of these mutant plants. And he just runs through and crashes through the window. Like, that was great stunt work. The ultimate opinion. sacrifice. And he survived, yeah. so no sacrifice. Light conquers darkness again. <laughs> Potential sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice, but he lived. <laughs> Tracer, dog my link all the way home. Dog your link. So then they fry all the things. They win. It's over. And then the last scene. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, so our Philadelphia friend is going to... I was actually excited. I thought he was going to bring out some cheesesteaks <laughs> because he had like mentioned Philly cheesesteaks earlier right. in the episode. They were having a celebratory feast for winning the day. For defeating yeah. the genetically engineered plants. And brings out asparagus that his grandmother made special. I just have to say, I'm glad they won the day. Mm. But they are, they're making jokes about asparagus. I don't really like asparagus. Do you like asparagus? I guess I'll try the asparagus. He's like, yeah, it's revenge asparagus. It was a real, (laughs) a lighthearted end of the episode in which three members of the Sequest crew are dead and 200 (laughs) colonists aboard this underwater station are dead. 203 minimum are dead. It didn't make sense. I don't know. I was kind of expecting something a little more uh... romantic. Well, they save it at the end because I don't know if we've mentioned this, but we, I watched these episodes on Peacock, the new NBC app. And so they have the autoplay feature. So you two said that you didn't really watch it because you had to like hit the cancel button. I was too slow. But at the end of both episodes, they have a little Sea World kind of factoid where they talk about certain aspects in that episode mm-hmm. and how they're grounded in real life. So, for example, in the best episode, mm-hmm. when you see the submarine flying, there's all of these like little tiny subs flying around. And that's an actual thing that in 1993 was like cutting edge technology that they were just starting to experiment with. These autonomous like subs being able to fly around. And then at hmm. the end of this one, they talked about how in SeaWorld they have this sound program where they can actually communicate with killer whales and actually have a conversation 
using different whale noises. Oh, okay. It's it was incredibly <laughs> fascinating. Uh, he's lonely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys didn't watch it. I did not. I saw the first four seconds before it before it moved me. It's off. worth going back and watching because it's fascinating. Okay, so why was this the worst episode then? <laughs> I mean, it was just silly. I mean, I enjoyed it because I just took it for what it was and just kind of it's just a silly monster movie. You know, like this yeah. secondary story of the dolphin, like, oh, the lights and then we're going to send a crew down. We're going to leave some people behind. Oh, the monster is like another Star Trek reference, like the triples, and it just keeps multiplying and getting bigger right. and you know, eating everything. Oh, and this one thing that we discovered by happenstance happens to be the one thing that will kill these plants, daylight, which yeah. is the one thing yeah. that all plants need to survive. Right. I mean, it was just a silly monster movie, but it definitely yeah. did not have the down-to-earth, grounded-in-reality sci-fi feel that I think the first season episode had. If you look online, you can find that Roy Scheider was really upset about the turn the second season yeah. took, and they moved further away from science and science fiction to more of these campy kinds of plot lines, and then there's more of a, a political, military component to what they were asking him to do and he didn't he hated that so that's i think one of the big reasons they switched over a lot of the cast is because he didn't want to work on the show anymore mm -hmm. and refused to to work that next season so that's why they had to fast forward season three to 2032 or whatever yeah. it was i think a lot of people including myself dropped out with that mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with all the things you were saying. It just seemed more campy. And the difference between the first and the second season, I think, was notable. I remember a couple of first season episodes, and I remember them being, like, pretty good. Like yeah. good. But if this episode is indicative of kind of the way the series was going, then I can absolutely see why, one, Roy didn't like it, and two, why it only lasted for three seasons. It's just, it's so sad. And the other thing is they moved their filming from, I assume they were in Hollywood or, or California, and they wanted to move it to Florida, and half the cast didn't want to move to Florida right. to shoot. And so it's like you had all these cast problems. James, you brought up a good point. Like I, I actually think that the monster angle for this maybe is somewhat redeeming. So I'm going to go ahead and watch the rest of, of these episodes through the second season, and I'm going to try to tackle that third season and just see what happens. <laughs> Here's to you, Dom. Deloise. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk. We're kind of talking about the series as a whole. And I could not help but think watching this entire thing that I'm glad that you said that you watched this because I immediately thought, Dom, that this should be a show that you really loved. Because one thing that you've talked about in our other two episodes was how unbelievable the sci-fi was and just how really out of bounds it was. And this was a show, at least for the first season, for the, for the best episode, I felt it was all very good sci-fi. And I thought, this is, has to be right up your alley. Yeah, this is closer to what I look for for, for sci-fi. And, you know, the second season takes it more into the X-Files realm, uh, which I also really love. But it's not trying to be sci-fi the way that Star Trek is at times. And Again, going back to those end-of-the-show factoids, I just found it really fascinating that they were using this cutting-edge research that was going on in the 90s and forecasting that and using that in the show. And 
it just makes the sci-fi so much more interesting. And it's just sad that they deviated from that. This is one reboot I would love for them to do. I would agree. Because it didn't run, it didn't have a long run. It wasn't successful overall, uh, almost getting that third award (laughs) (laughs) aside. And there are a few tweaks, like have a more interesting and less annoying dolphin communication thing going on. I mean, there's so many little tweaks they could have made here to make this really a good show. What year would you set the future one in then? Because we've already passed the first episode that we saw. It's going to have to be 2075 for me to have some of the underwater communities that they had projected for 2018. <laughs> My gosh. Uh, <laughs> we're not even close. The to underwater that. facilities. Uh, like, is this the entire show again? I don't remember anything about it. It's like uh, on this day, we we're going to go visit an underwater facility. <laughs> on this day, guess what? Underwater facility. It's like Hill Street Blues <laughs> and Sting Operation. Exactly. We're going to visit an yeah. underwater facility. Yeah. That's the Sequest's yeah. mission is to patrol the waters of the United Earth Oceans Organization and uh-huh. protect these facilities. To seek out old facilities and, and <laughs> recycled storylines. Boldly go. <laughs> There's a lot of ripping off. Yeah, because they, they're playing Peacemaker Police, you know. Well, I actually watched another episode from season one today. Oh. And the episode was about this militant country wants to join the UEO. UOE. Yo, yo, Adrian. UOE? No, it's UE, United <laughs> Earth U-A-U-O. Oceans. Yeah, UEO. Ocean. Um, there is some hesitant because this nation is just committing mass genocide with these race of people. And at the beginning, Captain Bridger incorrectly gets the order to shoot this submarine. And he just disarms it so that it's dead in the water. He goes to it and finds that it's just full of refugee children trying mm. to escape this country. Mm. And then it's just this big battle of they want these kids back so they can kind of murder them, and they're not wanting to give them back. It was so fascinating. I mean, it was so good. If they have just kept the same people that did season one, I think this show would have been way more successful. Than I like Captain Bridget. Yeah. I agree. I, I really like the actor. He's a good leader. And, you know, we compare to Star Trek, and I feel like I've been slamming on the show a little bit in this episode, and I don't mean to. I will just say that anytime you're coming behind a very, very notable franchise like Star Trek, yeah. and you're kind of doing some similar stuff, it just invites the copycat comparisons And it's really, really hard being the little brother. And I am very, very sympathetic Mm -hmm. to that. I still just don't think it's as good of a show, though. Well, I'll say this about Captain Bridger. And if there's one thing that you guys know about me is that most of my statements are very well-tempered. Captain Bridger is better than Picard. Oh, he is a a better captain of a crew than Jean-Luc Picard. Then how come they all left? (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, that's because they wanted to take the filming to Ohio or something. These undersea things we're going to do in the Ohio River. That'd be a lot of fun. That explains it all. (laughs) I just thought he showed more emotion than Picard. I felt he had to make way tougher decisions. I don't really feel in either of the episodes that there was a main character, but he definitely carried the episodes. 
in sure. my opinion. It would we'd have to compare the first two seasons of Sequest to the first two seasons of Star Trek the Next Generation to be fair, because Sequest didn't really have much after season two. I have no opinion. I just Greg absolutely enjoy a good hot take by James. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, I will. I'll agree, James, that Roy Scheider is an amazing actor. Yeah, does a great job. I mean, he he does great. I mean, Jaws obviously, but here he's awesome. It is sad that he's also probably one of the primary reasons that things fell apart. Alas, <sighs> smells like Easter. Smells like my uncle Manny's funeral home. So, gentlemen, I think we kind of have an idea, but did you all enjoy Sequest? I did. I, Dom, you said it. I think this is a show, you know, they're rebooting all kinds of shows. This is a show that deserves a reboot and right. an attempt to stay true to its first season. Wouldn't that be something if the entertainment industry would reboot shows that really could have succeeded and given them another shot? Yeah. I guess we'll find out. That'd be nice. Oh. <laughs> well, gentlemen, do you want to give out some awards? Let's do that. Yes, they're very big. I know they're big. So just a reminder, we here at the TV Yearbook, we like to give out our own superlative awards, as James mentioned at the top of the episode. So our first award is a staple here, and it's the Extra Mile Award. The Extra Mile Award is an award we give out for that extra in the cast that is just going above and beyond in perhaps a way that was excessive. Or <laughs> over the top, let's say. <laughs> Enough to be noticed. And so uh, I'm giving my extra mile award to the guy who thinks he's going to die and really wants to call his wife in the quarantine best episode. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, you see him uh, asking permission to call his wife. I think he's talking to the captain. And he starts with a very weepy Alabama uh, accent about trying to contact his wife and his next line switches to kind of the Virginia drawl <laughs> with a brighter tone and it's just he just lays it on the emotion is just oozing well there's a lot of layers I think that he put into it because he's obviously emotional or obviously he's, he's trying to be emotional yeah. but then he realizes wait I'm talking to my captain yes I can't show my weakness right. i need to be strong for my crewmates yes that's and, what happened well it was a good choice because i think we all noticed him yeah yeah we did. it was so, it was hilarious you know we typically bless their heart make fun of these extras in the background and what they do but i want to give props to greg you made yeah. a reference to the red shirts well this guy the blue shirt who gets eaten by the plant <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> He's the only person that we actually see get attacked yeah. and get eaten by these plants. And I just want to give props to him that he's a real blue shirt. He <laughs> died with dignity. He died with class. And he should be proud for his moment of reaching for the door, grabbing onto the door. <laughs> Sucked back in. Pulled back into the room. Pulled me right back in. And turned to dust. I thought it was done magnificently and what I wouldn't give to be able to play that part. That's a fun part. I could see you in that role. He was a rando in the hallway and I called him before it happened. <laughs> it's like... Got two main characters and blue shirt. I was like, yeah. oh. I don't recognize him. We're going to see the dust. <laughs> and he did a great job. I'm going to look that Those up. Those aren't the only awards we have to give, though, James. No, I have another award. And my award is going to go to the costumer oh. of the worst episode because the amount of flannel that she had to buy to clothe that cast, she gets the award of most likely to have a rewards card at Joanne Fabrics. <laughs> That's a good one. 
Definitely. Well, I have one more award, and it's from the worst episode. It involves the plants right with the glass dive. And it's not for the actors, it's for the plants. Mm-hmm. Well, not exactly for the plants, but as we discussed earlier, James, you said it was like a Tasmanian devil kind of sound that the plants were. Yeah. I agree with that, but I think there's actually a better explanation for, <laughs> for what happened with the sound of these plants. So my award is Most Unexpected Political Cameo. Because when those plants start screaming, <laughs> it is a 2004 Howard Dean. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. And we're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh they got so many things in the future correct yeah. oh my goodness james my favorite part about that is you realized where i was going mid-sentence right <laughs> is that true it is so true and to all of our audience out there that alone is worth watching this episode <laughs> strangest damn thing well, that brings us to the end of our episode of Sequest. Our next episode, we're going to continue with 90 sci-fi and talk about truth and where you might find it, which I'm told is it's out, out there. there. That's right. It's the X-Files. Well, I'm so excited. Yeah. And uh, we should note that the X-Files, while it did run for a significant amount of time, that we are going to restrain ourselves to only choosing episodes in the 90s. Before we get to Greg Soto, check us out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at the TV Yearbook and let us know what you think of the show and what you would like us to do in the future. And please, please, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. We do pay attention to those reviews and would love to hear from you. Absolutely. So, Greg, speaking of reviews, how is your green apple? You can see <laughs> from the bottle, the 25 ounces is nearly gone. <laughs> you didn't finish it. I didn't. Well, that's not really gone. That's, that's half full. That's halfway gone. <laughs> And it's tapered at the top. You've had a third of that soda. <laughs> I believe you have discovered that I <laughs> did not drink all of it because it wasn't as enjoyable. That's the truth. <laughs> so, no, this was a green apple Italian soda. It was enjoyable at the beginning, but I think this particular thing started to get old. Even though this has apple juice. You just opened it. No, not like stale. I mean, after you drink it oh. enough, then you just realize, I don't Didn't want to keep any more going. of this. Yeah. You, uh, you're filled, yeah. and it doesn't taste as good as you continue on. But <laughs> this actually does have apple juice from concentrate in here, along with sugar. It has spinach <laughs> extract, but it's just for color. Roger. That doesn't seem bizarre to me. I don't know why. Well, doctor said I should eat more vegetables, so here we are. <laughs> right. Mission accomplished. There you go. So anyway, the soda, overall, the soda was all right, but <laughs> I won't buy it again. All right. Okay. Very good. That brings us to our conclusion of this episode. Is that how you want to end it? No. Stay safe. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was that was more morbid. We'll go yearbook. Stay sweet this summer. Stay sweet, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We'll be right back. 